Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, to all the people out there about to graduate college with a degree in accounting, but worried about entering into the job market, might I suggest getting a second degree in dentistry? Then you can crunch numbers and numb crunchers. <laughs> that was that's good, man. <laughs> I like a pun where the consonants get switched. Yeah, a spooner spoonerist puns. It's very common in the Sunday New York Times crossword puzzle and it always yeah. delights me whereas <laughs> I think because Sarah grew up with a, a spoonerist father yeah. who loves a spoonerism, mm -hmm. whenever there are those puns in the New York Times she's always like groaning, but I'm like, "Oh, it's a delight. It's not <laughs> Ned Flanders, it's Ned Flounders." <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> It's it's weird to me. If you like that, I don't know how you'd hate any of my jokes here on Dear Hank and John. Well, they are all positive gold. They are not all gold. That's <laughs> a factually inaccurate statement. Speaking of factually inaccurate statements, how about Twitter? Ah, oh, indeed. Hmm. That's the end of the joke. Boy. All right, let's answer some questions from our listeners. Oh, wow. We're going to jump right into it today, John. This first one comes from Liana, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I'm home with my three brothers for quarantine. I get teased by them for being a bit of a recluse and being in my room all the time. The thing is, I don't know how to participate in a lot of their conversations. They really enjoy video games and Star Wars, and a lot of the time, that's what they talk about, and I just don't know how to relate. I have different interests, but even still, I want to participate and laugh along with the jokes I don't understand, but I don't know how to do that. I'm worried this disconnect will continue into when we're all proper adults, but all I want is to be close to them. Any dubious advice is appreciated. I don't live in Montana. Leanna, thanks for helping me figure out how to pronounce your name correctly. We got, we've had a few questions like this. People who are newly with friends and family and are trying to find ways to connect with them and to feel like they are part of a community with them. Because, of course, family is a very important piece of community when we can have it. And 
like it, it's this sounds especially hard because you have three brothers who are all into video games and Star Wars, and there is one Liana who is, seems to be less into those two things, and so it's sort of hard to break in. But but my guess would be you got to try and chisel one of them off. Like don't try to like get them as like one solid group that's all sort of in the into the same things, but be like like Matt and Stephen, leave them be, but be like you, Jeremy. I want you and I to do something and we will have a shared interest and then they they will get they will get interested in whatever you have decided to do with Jeremy. And I don't know if that's going to be video games or Star Wars or if you're going to be something else. But that that is my only way. You have to approach this problem not as a monolithic block of brothers, but one brother at a time. I think all of that advice was terrible. <laughs> That's all I got. I know. And and I thought it was what I liked is that you talked for a long time (laughs) and that you didn't say um very many times. But I thought the content of the message was awful. You don't like it? No, no. Okay. I, I, well, what? Tell me. Your your like solution it. to this division among siblings is to create yet more division, and I think that's yeah, a bad yeah, solution. yeah, exactly. Yeah, you need to create teams. You need to <laughs> you need to be on your own team, but you need to have somebody on it. No, I also think every part about it is unrealistic. Like I I think you have to have an honest earnest conversation with your brothers where you say, look, yeah, that sounds way more realistic. I no, I think it is realistic. I I think you say, look, when y'all talk about Star Wars and Fortnite and nothing else, it doesn't leave a lot of room for me. Are there things that we could watch together? Mm -hmm. Is there a movie we could watch together tonight that's from a new series that none of us has seen that can we watch Star Trek The Next Generation? Can we watch that uh, one movie that had Mila Kunis in it <laughs> in space. You know the one. Yeah. Let's yeah. watch that because if we don't have all of us together a thing, I'm going to mm-hmm. be in my room because I can't like get your jokes about pod racing and I don't really have like 5,000 hours to devote to going to like Reddit's list of prequel memes so that I can become fully versed in your language. Instead, we need to build a new language together that includes all four of us. Yeah, yeah. I just think that's a lot. I think it's I think it's hard. I don't think it's a lot. I think you say like the next time they say like, hey, you're in your room all the time. Just be like, you want to know why I'm in my room all the time? It's because you guys converse primarily in Fortnite gibberish. In prequel memes. Like, I I don't understand the words that you're saying. Like, I don't know what a John Wick skin is. And I also like don't have a burning desire to learn. Mm -hmm. So let's find a language that we can all be part of. Right. And I agree with that to find something that's. Uh, maybe not uh, Mila Kunis's space movie or Star Trek The Next Generation, maybe something a little more in the present tense. Or, I don't know, maybe you do want to go and watch a bunch of like old movies from the 50s and 60s, and that'll be the thing. But f- find a thing, and that would be great if you could say, okay, you want me to be out of my room? Then you're going to watch Drag Race with me. Boom, ha, let's do it. I'll watch a prequel, but you got to watch, you got to watch some Drag Race. Are we talking about the Courtney Force kind of drag race, or are we talking about the RuPaul kind? Uh, no, we're talking about the Courtney Act kind of drag race. In the same way that I don't know who that is, I think that you probably don't know who Courtney Force is. I definitely don't know who Courtney Force is, and I'm I'm devastated that you don't know who Courtney Act is. Well, I'm a little hurt that you don't know who Courtney Force is. So it, it, you know, 
suddenly we're in the same boat where it turns out that we didn't have anything in common all along and I'm just going to spend the rest of this time inside of my my room. Forget you. I'm moving on. I'm only hanging out with people who know who Graham Rahal and Courtney Force are now. I wonder if Courtney Courtney Force and Courtney Act know each other. They they look like they might. The Venn diagram of people who get both sides of our joke is <laughs> that connecting point is very small. Yeah. Please there's write a, us an email if you are that person. There's a fair number of listeners who are like, <laughs> I get half that joke. And there's a fair number of listeners who are like, I get the other half. Almost yeah. nobody gets both halves. <laughs> you got to be both Hank and John <laughs> to know who both of those people are. All right. This next question comes from Sarah, who writes, Dear John and Hank, why are they called honey nut Cheerios when in fact there are no nuts in them? This also applies to grape nuts. Is the cereal industry okay? Peanuts and penguins, <laughs> Sarah. I mean, I got to say the cereal industry cannot be 100% okay. I've heard that millennials are killing them. I feel like the cereal industry is doing significantly better, at least in our house, than, than it was six weeks ago. <laughs> the amazing thing is that, like, there've got to be lots of cereals that don't exist from the era of grape nuts. Yeah. But Grape Nut somehow held on. Right. And if there has ever been an, a better example of being first, being better than being best, Grape Nuts has to be it. Because Grape Nuts were like, we figured out how to make a thing that you can put in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only, that's all it is. It is acceptable to have this in your mouth. And they still exist. Yeah, Grape Nuts is but like But only the... because they were first. They were first. And like every cereal is better than Grape Nuts, but they're still out there. Being a tiny box that it takes uh, six months to get through. Yeah, Grape Nuts is like the last surviving member of its genus. It's like the, <laughs> the duck-billed platypus or tuatara of cereals, where like, I bet there were a lot of things like Grape Nuts 150 years ago. Mm -hmm. But now Grape Nuts is like the only way we have of glimpsing the distant past. It's like a living <laughs> fossil. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it is made of rocks. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I mean, that's the other thing. You said like you can put this in your mouth and you can eat it, but not really. <laughs> But yeah, you need some assistance. You got to wait a while. Yeah, you got to wait. Your, your enzymes have to work on it before you can eat it. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. there's a lot of people out there, by the way, speaking of people who don't know who Courtney Force is, who have no idea what grape nuts are. Yeah, well, grape nuts is. Gra I'm sorry, I didn't know it was singular. Yeah. Grape nuts is a cereal... And that's the end of the sentence. I don't. I can't say anything else about it. Yeah, like the. It's not like the individual thing. Like the individual nugget of 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 grape nuts is a grape nut. Right. I think that that has been well and truly debunked by the people at Grape Nuts. They want to be pretty clear that this is not a grape nut. Yeah. I don't know what they think it is. They also want to be clear that this cereal neither contains nor tastes like yeah. either grapes or nuts. Yeah. Hank, do you remember any? Of the 12 taglines for Honey Nut Cheerios. Um, oh, what a relief it is. <laughs> no. <laughs> the one from 2013 to the present, which I definitely remember, is based on uh, Nelly's song Ride With Me. Wow. Where, you know, Nelly says, must be the money. Uh-huh. Hey. Yeah, y you do it. I can't do it, but you're going to do great. I, I have total confidence in you. Okay. 
hey, must be the money. Like that. <laughs> that was as exactly as I expected it to be. <laughs> um, and their tagline is, must be the honey. Wow. Because it can't be the nuts, because th- <laughs> there ain't any. <laughs> So I I think that this is a completely different situation from Grape Nuts. And you know why? Because there is nut in Honey Nut Cheerio. It is almond flavoring. Yeah, there's flavor. It just doesn't come from almonds. And it doesn't come from almonds because people are allergic to almonds. But it also comes, and this is wild, from peach pits uh, and apricot pits, but... People who are allergic to nuts are also sometimes allergic to these chemicals from peach and apricot pits, so they still have to put contains nut allergens even though it doesn't contain nuts. Wow. But they did uh, have ground almonds in them until 2006, and they stopped, I don't think for allergy reasons, but just because they were too expensive. It would They would rather not. Thank you very much. Right. Yeah. Usually when... Uh, organization makes a change that is ostensibly right for health mm-hmm. reasons it's really for money reasons <laughs> my favorite example of this is the orange juice that's 50 percent sugar free yeah so 50 percent sugar free orange juice is orange juice that's half water <laughs> yeah which by the way is how i drink my orange juice Me too. but i just get it i just get it in concentrate, if you will, which uh-huh. is to say regular orange juice, and then yeah. I add my own water. Yeah. And in doing so, I save half of the cost of the orange juice. Yeah. And you have half calorie orange juice. Another of Honey Nut Cheerios taglines that I'm pretty fond of is little O, big taste. It's never how I have felt about a Honey Nut Cheerio. I've never been like, whoa, my whole... <laughs> Head popped off. Know, this is yeah. like a gusher. <laughs> no, it has, a, it has a bigger taste than the non-honey nut Cheerios by the virtue of the honey. Yeah, but only marginally. Yeah. I feel like the non-honey nut Cheerios are for people who've temporarily or permanently lost their sense of taste. I have those Cheerios. I actually, and do you want to know? We mix them with the honey nut Cheerios to create low calorie honey nut Cheerios or low sugar. It's it's like watering down your, your orange juice a little bit. Yeah. Like, what is wrong with my home? Or what is, either there's something wrong inside of those four walls or is there something wrong outside of them? And I think that there's something wrong outside of them, which is that everything has too much sugar in it. But I water down everything, including my Cheerios with... More Cheerios. Because there's too much flavor, John. My head. I can't. It can't be contained in this single O. I'm fine. Good. You know one of the other taglines for Honey Nut Cheerios I'm pretty fond of? Okay. From the hive that's nuts about honey. What? Because now they're like, we don't have nuts in our Cheerios anymore. So, so we're going to make yeah. it about being crazy for honey. Like, yeah, this I'm honey nuts. The, these Cheerios are nuts for honey. This isn't about nuts. God knows we don't have any of those allergens. Uh, we do. Yeah, we, we do. Just for clarity. But we're going to print it in small letters on the box. Yes, John. This is the the Cheerios for honey nuts. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. That is that is what they are trying to transition to mean. Uh, yeah, or they attempted to, but then they were like, hey, must be the honey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They were like, if we stick with this for 20 years, we'll make the transition. And then along comes Nelly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. 
Well, somebody found the Wikipedia page for the Honey Nut Cheerios slogans, I guess. Yeah. As you know, Hank, Alice has a nut allergy. It's not, thankfully, super severe, at least so far as we know, at least so far. Yeah. But it has led to the cutest thing in the world, which is Alice will not eat anything without saying, does this have walnuts or pecans? This is a little bit less the case than it was when she was three or four. In some ways, like the first full question that she learned to ask was, does this have walnuts or pecans? And so it made her seem extremely precocious at restaurants. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I'd like the, I'd like the French fries. Does yes. that have walnuts or pecans? Exactly. So she'd be like, yes, I have a question. The, uh, the chicken tenders. Do they contain walnuts or pecans? <laughs> Great. Well, then I will have the chicken. Oh, and that comes with French fries. Um, Follow-up question. Yeah. Do they have walnuts or pecans? Okay. Then in that case, I will have the chicken nuggets and the French fries. I would also enjoy a glass of chocolate milk. Um, Don't mean to repeat myself, but <laughs> does that contain walnuts or pecans? And you don't know these days with milk. You don't. You don't. Could be made of anything. Plenty of pecan milk out there. Yeah. All right, Hank. This next question comes from Chelsea, who writes, Dear John and Hank, in the present times, I am emailing my professors more when I would typically go to office hours or ask questions in class. Sometimes they sign off with their first names rather than Dr. Such-and-so. Does this mean I can call them by their first name? Chelsea. Yeah, I think they opened that door. I think that... I think they did I, too. Yeah. But I don't like I don't know why they did. Like if you could be called Dr. Such and so, you should do it. It's so much work to get to the point of being able to be called Dr. Such and so, and that's why mm -hmm. I always call people Dr. Such and so. Yeah. Here's the thing, Chelsea. I do think that they've opened the door. My own experience, even with professors I'm really quite close to, is I still keep the door closed. Like <laughs> Like, you open that, but I'm just gonna... Oren does that sometimes, where we'll, like, open the door if if we're in the other room and he's, like, watching TV. He'll, like, come and close it. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. I'm sorry we were distracting you by doing nothing. Yeah. I think this is different for everybody, but I always felt like even when I was friends with my professors, they mm. were still my professors. Yes. Like, yes. there was still an authority role there. And that was my way of acknowledging that. Even like long after I graduated from college, yeah, when absolutely. I would talk to my mentor, my religion professor, Professor Rogan, who I still call Professor Rogan, even though he's dead. <laughs> when I would talk to Professor Rogan, I would always call him Professor Rogan. And I felt very uncomfortable calling him by his first name because that was the nature of our relationship. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't going to like stop being our relationship. Now, for some people... I think that does change in transition. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was always going to be kind of a mentor-mentee relationship, somebody I looked up to, somebody who, you know, I just thought of differently than I think of my friends. Yeah, I feel the same way. And I, I to this day, like, I know the first names of all of my professors who I worked with very closely in college, but I would never think about calling them by their first name. But, but Chelsea, this is up to you. If you're asking the question, does it mean you can call them by their first name? I think it does. You can. If you want to try that shoe on and see if it's comfortable, go ahead. I think that my foot would protest, personally. I do agree, though. I look to how someone signs off uh -huh. in how to respond to them. Yeah. But then, now that I think about it, it would be very weird if you signed off like best wishes 
Dr. Green. Would it? Like, that would be a little weird. That's a bit of a weird sign-off. And by the way, like I can't I can say that because, as you know, I have two doctorate degrees, bo- both honorary. <laughs> <laughs> what are they in? Are they just like, do they have a qualification? Or are you just like, yeah. an honorary doctorate in giving commencement speeches? The arts. Oh, mm. yes. Yes, quite. I'm a, I'm a doctor of the arts. <laughs> And then I've seen people, you know, the worst people in the world, yeah, call themselves doctor after getting an honorary degree. Oh my god. And the best part about it is that they call themselves doctor such and so and then in parentheses H O N period, which means honorary. <laughs> which means not actual. Not a doctor. Well, at least they put that in there. But <laughs> but now I I wouldn't have known what that meant. I, I thought I would think maybe it was some kind of like Latin thing for like extra. Right. Like an honors doctor. Doctor like, of the arts, even more so. Like yes. like a double doctor like myself, honorary. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you've been honorary. Yeah, no, I'm licensed to practice medicine, but only of an of an honorary variety. <laughs> I can I can participate in all the ceremonial <laughs> medical services. Yeah. Wh- uh, which which include um, saying goodbye as they're leaving. All all the pomp and circumstance, Hank. So I guess you could do that. Yeah, the washing of the hands. I'm allowed to do right. I'm allowed to put on <laughs> gloves, but I'm just not allowed to to touch anyone. Touch anyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. Yeah. 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 And you could say goodbye when they leave. I can hold the scalpel. I just I just can't do any of the cutting. I can hold the scalpel, and then they have to disinfect it before they actually use it. Yeah, I'm allowed to listen to hearts with the with the stethoscope, but I'm not allowed ah, to make conclusions. <laughs> Oh, God. Are you an honorary doctor? No, I cannot bring myself to write an hour-long speech. Oh, okay. So first off, I don't know who told you that commencement speeches are an hour long, but that person Ah. is a monster. I thought they were. I've no. I've watched a bunch of very long graduation speeches. Mine was very long. No, they are. I think the perfect commencement address, the greatest commencement addresses of all time are all Every single one of them under 20 minutes. Oh, all right. Well, that's still like four Vlogbrothers videos. John, this next question comes from Ari, who asks, Dear Hank and John, after graduation, my girlfriend and I will be moving in together. Neither of us drinks coffee, but our friends and family do. Should we get a coffee machine anyway so that we can offer people coffee when they visit? Would it be all right to just offer guests tea if they want a hot drink? Beans and befuddlement, Ari. Man, our lives too do appear to be controlled to some extent by these by these good beans, John. The beans are a hugely important historical force for sure. They are. And yes. they continue to be a big historical force. That said, I don't think that you need to have a coffee maker if you don't drink no, coffee. No. Not least, Ari, because if you do have a coffee maker and you have beans or ground coffee and you only have like two guests per year who yeah. drink coffee, you're going to be yeah. serving them terrible coffee. <laughs> old beans! Because the beans will be very old. Yeah. And there's just a bunch of reasons why you don't want to do that. And it's not it's not worth having an extra appliance in your house if right. you don't use it often. You can offer guests tea, and you can also say there's a Starbucks down the street. I think both are acceptable. Right. The, so, yes, there's there's two things that we have to, to get out of the way here. One, do you live in a place where there is a coffee shop fairly nearby? But even if there isn't... If not, do you live in a place where your kitchen is very, very big 
and you have like space to have because this I was shocked by and continue to be shocked by how uh, like you have to choose what appliances are most important to you. Because you do not have space for infinite appliances. You do not have money for infinite appliances. And there will always be more appliances that the world is inventing. And so you should take your counter space seriously and do not add things to it that you're not going to be using on the on the daily. Yeah. I, By which I mean you need a microwave, you need a soda stream, and that's it. A toaster. You need a toaster. Right. I guess you need a toaster. And then there are a couple of other things that you also need. You need a coffee maker. <laughs> <laughs> if you're me, yeah. at least. Not if you're right. Ari. John. But I need a coffee maker. Yeah. Catherine and I use what's called an AeroPress, which just yeah. goes into the cabinet. It's, yeah. But it's like you make one, one cup of coffee very slowly, which is a nice ritual for me uh, when I want coffee. We have a plumbed coffee machine. A plumbed? Yeah, so it like makes it's it's a it, it's built into the oh, to the wall. The water yeah, goes yeah, directly yeah. into it. It makes right. coffee, you know. Yeah, I've seen it. I've used it, in fact. We call it Helga. <laughs> it seems like the kind of thing that'd be like a huge pain if it broke. It's the only appliance in our house that has a name. Mm. I should name my soda stream. And we have named her Helga because, you know, she is the only thing in the kitchen important enough to have a name. Where is Helga from? Oh, Germany. Oh, okay. Is that a German name? She's German. So you have a you have a coffee machine named named Helga. This is good. I feel the same way about my soda stream. I am very connected to it. I've had a soda stream for longer than nearly anyone. And uh, I would like to name it. And so if you would like to send in names for my soda stream, I will pick one and I will be excited to tell you about it next week. That's a great idea. I do not have a name for my soda stream. Which is maybe the problem. <laughs> maybe it would help me feel more deeply connected to my soda yeah. maker if I named it. But that reminds me, John, that this podcast is brought to you by Helga. Helga lives in John's wall and spits out the good black juice. Today's podcast is also brought to you by a grape nut. A, a single grape nut does not exist. <laughs> this podcast is also brought to you by Jupiter Ascending. Oh, that's what it's, it's called. It's that movie with Mila Kunis from space. <laughs> It's kind of a great movie. And of course, today's podcast is also brought to you by being nuts for honey Cheerios. Nuts for honey Cheerios. <laughs> Almost honey nut Cheerios. We also have a Project for Awesome message uh, from Rajan from Gothenburg, Sweden, who writes, oh. wanted to say thanks to Tom for being a great friend and fellow nerd fighter all these years. And to John and Hank for doing incredible work to fight World Suck and especially Infant Mortality in Sierra Leone. Also, shout out to my fellow Swedish nerd fighters. As an American who recently moved here, this country has been incredibly welcoming, and I'm so happy to call it my home. Oh, that's really great. lovely. Yeah. And this episode of Dear Hank John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly ship to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Chobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt. 
I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. And uh, thank you so much for donating to the Project for Awesome. All right, Hank, we have another question. This one's from Emily, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I'm currently in the stage of my high school career where I spend all of my free time writing scholarship essays. As By the way, that's not free time as such, Emily, but I, I get what you mean. As a future teacher in Oklahoma, I really need these scholarships or else I will be in debt literally until I die. A few of the scholarship applications have essay requirements listed as, quote, one to two pages, which is rather vague. Like, what size should my font be? What font should I use? Should I double space or single space? Does this include the title slash header? Please help. Not the owner of a big red dog, Emily. Oh, my God. This is deeply frustrating to me. As a person who assigns stories and editorial assignments of varying kinds, the idea of giving a page count? Yeah, well, some people... Why do they do that? I used to write by page count for many, many years. I would say I have no idea how many words this is. I only know how many pages it is. And I would even figure out how many words something was by multiplying the number of pages. So like by 250 or something? Yeah, people would be like, it's about 300 words per page. And I would be like, in that case, my novel is 60,000 words long, about. Oh, God. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess with something long, if there wasn't like an easy way to count words like there is now. Right. Yeah. So I think that's where it comes from. I think it comes from a past where it was relatively hard to count words and relatively easy to count pages. Mm -hmm. But we no longer live in that past. And so the scholarship application should say how long it wants the essay to be, not how many pages it wants it to be. That said, I do have feelings here. Oh, okay. I mean, I have like, I have a guess. What's your guess? I have guesses. My guess is you're going to want to like hit 12 point times New Roman Arial, something like it, and do like 1.5 space. I think that's exactly right. I think you can single space it if you want to. I think 1.5 spacing is ideal. And I think double spacing just isn't right. Doesn't look right. Nah, doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't look right. Yeah. It's not the right vibe. It's not the vibe that you're going for in your scholarship application. Now, it may be that we are completely wrong mm-hmm. and that every scholarship application in the world requires everything to be double-spaced and the reader of those scholarship applications will be like, oh my God, I'm blinded by this 1.5 spacing. <laughs> because really what it's about is expectation. Mm-hmm. Like it really, when you're reading something, you want it to look like what you read looks like. Everything else you read. Yeah. And that's why when it comes to picking a font, I am a big believer in opening Google Docs or Word or whatever you're using and beginning to type. Yeah. 
use they they've picked that. Somebody worked long and hard thinking about which font Google Docs uses. And, and it's not that it's the best font because it's it's not. Yeah. And if fonts are extremely important to you, you probably look at the default Google or Microsoft Word font and you're duly horrified and disgusted by it. Got thoughts. But for most of us, most of the time, what we want in a font yeah. is a kind of transparency. So we're not thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like to use default fonts is because when I'm at least when I'm writing something before it's published in a book, I want it to the font, the design mm-hmm. to just kind of disappear off the page. And so the yeah. reader is just inside of what I'm writing. Yeah, it's wild. I Like when I'm writing, I actually switch from one word processor to another word processor, like at a certain point in the process. And when that happens, the font and the font size and everything changes. And it takes me forever to, to like get back into the flow of just having it blend away again. And it's sh- like, I don't like it's wild to me. It's just words. But like, it really is. It really does affect me. No, I mean, there, it's like anything. The tools that you use are important. Yeah. But it should tell you the word count. <laughs> Not only should it tell you the word count, it should tell you whether it should be single spaced or double spaced. Like, why wouldn't they do that? Yeah. Well, here's the thing is probably you're going to write this thing one to two pages and then you're going to copy and paste it into a form because it's the year 2020. Right. And so they should just say 600 to 1,000 words yeah. is what they should say, or 500 yeah. to a th- They should say how long they want it to be <laughs> because <laughs> nobody reads a certain number of pages. They read a certain number of words. Yeah. But we, we have to, we have to, so the problem is with the system. The system is failing you. And not just because somehow yeah. it's acceptable to us to create a lifetime of debt so that people can become teachers, a profession that we so sorely need more of. Mm-hmm. Yep. But also because of word counts and essays and spacing. It's probably the smaller piece of the problem. Okay, before Hank and I fall all the way off the cliff of being super frustrated with systemic failures, mm-hmm. we want to let you know some updates, updates, including this critical update. Remember that person, Hank, whose 13th birthday was totally ruined mm-hmm. and they cried mm-hmm. and their hair dye didn't arrive on time Yeah, and everything was a disaster. Mm-hmm. They have written us an update, Hank. Yes. Dear John and Hank, being 13 has been awesome so far. I got my hair dye in the mail, <laughs> as well as a DFTBA hoodie that I wasn't expecting, and it's a oh, very nice. good hoodie. You're welcome. The only problem after having turned 13 was that I had so many Google Classroom classes. I have eight classes a day, plus Model United Nations, plus photography, plus, this sounds horrible, plus playwriting, <laughs> plus podcasting, all online, plus my extracurricular literature class, plus student government, plus Shrek and The Tempest. I'm designing costumes for Shrek and writing an adaptation of The Tempest. Oh, my God. This anonymous 13-year-old has accomplished much more in the last week than I have accomplished in my life. (laughs) Are you adapting The Tempest for podcasts? Because I'm in. Tell me more. I am also, I am very interested, or for YouTube. I, I am interested in both of those potential ways of adapting The Tempest. If you could make The Tempest in a socially distant way... Mm-hmm. As a YouTube series like the Lizzie Bennett Diaries, but it's The Tempest, I'm interested. Being a teenager has been pretty good on the whole. I also get to rub it in to my mom's face that she will have a teenager for the next 10 years because my brother is 10. Signed, Anonymous Human. It's great stuff. <laughs> oh, boy. You're going to be in that boat not too long from now. Me? You got, no. You have a whole decade of teenagers. I am going to have a whole decade of teenagers. I'm going to have 11 years of teenagers. <gasps> oh, no. Yeah, you'll be okay. 
I also wanted to let you know, Hank, about this email from Val, who wrote to say, Dear John and Hank, your discussion of the average height of waves and troughs in mm-hmm. yesterday's episode made me think of the famous John Maynard Keynes quote from A Tract on Monetary Reform, which you'll be surprised <laughs> to learn, Val, that neither Hank nor I has read I- in no. detail. You know, we've read like <laughs> the first yeah. couple chapters. Sure, sure. I did the Cliff's Notes. Yeah, I paged around. I got the gist of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I have I have a PhD in Keynesian economics, but H O N. Both in substance and in style, you came so close to invoking John Maynard Keynes's famous joke about the idea of being on a boat in dangerous seas. In that book, he wrote, "But this long run is a misleading guide to current affairs. In the long run, we are all dead." Huh, he really was my kind of guy, that John Maynard Keynes. <laughs> Economists set themselves too easy, too useless a task if in tempestuous seasons they can only tell us that when the storm is long past, the ocean is flat again. Great minds. That's a great couple great sentences minds. right there. It and is. it made me want to read the rest of a tract on monetary reform. Not like a lot, though. Just but, a little. But not, yeah, not right now. <laughs> not, not like so much that I'm going to do it. Yeah. But like, I'll have the thought and then I'll think more highly of myself before discarding it. I'm, I, you know what? I'm going to, I'll report back next week, Hank, on All right. my, uh, my, my review of a tract on monetary reform. You can get, get the audiobook. Well, right now I am listening to the last of Hillary Mantel's three books about Thomas Cromwell. Oh, wow. It's like 39 hours long. And I was doing the dishes last <laughs> night and I, I'm about four hours and 45 minutes into the book. Mm-hmm. And the narrator paused for a moment and then said in his beautiful British voice, chapter three. <laughs> And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) I've been listening to this for nine days. (laughs) What what page are we on here? (laughs) Give me me some sense. I need to feel the (laughs) thickness of what I have left. We also had a couple of people write in about uh, putting googly eyes on the moon. One great suggestion was smaller, very reflective patches spaced out and then from here, it would appear that that would be averaged out into less reflective patches. So that would be a way to make that happen more effectively. Tyler also wrote in to let me know that this happened, of course, in the 1994 animated series, The Tick, which I, not googly eyes, but Chairface Chippendale tried to carve it into the moon with a laser. I'm well aware of that. I was I was referencing, just for you, Tyler, I was referencing that and, and hoping that you would, would know. I know, of course, everything there is to know about The Tick. Oh, Hank is a proper Tick super fan. I am. I do love, I do love, love, love The Tick. And then some people let us know that sea level is not level and that it is different heights in different places, which is indeed true. I've looked it up. It's very strange. It's a big ocean. And sea level, of course, changes with the tides, but also with a bunch of other things like winds and heat and warmth and like warmth and cool cycles and stuff like that. Super cool. Hank, it was a year ago today as we are recording this that Mission Mm -hmm. Impossible was completed by AFC Wimbledon. One year ago today from Wimbledon's incredible survival in League One, one of the greatest escape from relegation stories in the history of professional football. Yeah. Ten points from being in second to last place at Christmas and survival on the last day in the most 
anxiety-provoking nil-nil draw away at Bradford that you could ever possibly imagine. <laughs> and uh, oh, I, I, I have been really enjoying reliving that day. Aaron Ramsdale, the 21-year-old goalkeeper who was largely responsible for Wimbledon staying in League One that season, made a couple of amazing saves on that last day. He is now uh, a goalkeeper in the Premier League for Bournemouth. He is starting in the Premier League just one year later. He's going to go on to great things. Uh, It's incredible to have had him at AFC Wimbledon. All the players from that year have been posting about how it felt on that uh, that day uh, that the great escape was confirmed. But yeah, it's just been nice to go back in time to this joyous occasion for Wimbledon and uh, be reminded that, you know, football is in our future. I don't know when, but it, it is in our future. Indeed. Uh, John, does this, is it possible that if this season had, would have gone on that you would have been relegated and this is good, is, is good for them at least staying up for another season? If they stay up. Oh, they might not stay up. There are a lot of different ways to calculate who would go down if there is even relegation this year. So like, I believe the Dutch league just declared the season null and void. The teams that were going to get promoted aren't going to get promoted. The teams that were going to get relegated aren't going to get relegated. The season did not exist. Mm. Whereas the French uh, league has done it differently. And it's hard. Obviously, this is not the biggest problem. In fact, it might be the smallest problem, but it's not really fair to freeze the season because not everybody has played the same teams. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's hard to figure out what's fair, but I mean, what the heck do I know about the future, Hank? I feel ya. Two and a half months ago, I was at Harry Potter World with my children and 57,000 million people. So (laughs) who knows? Yeah. Well, in this week's Mars news, um, there is going to be a helicopter carried to the red planet in the belly of the Perseverance rover, and that helicopter has been named. I don't know if they intended to name this thing, but then they decided to because they got all these great names submitted in essay contests. And an 11th grader, Veniza Rupani, uh, at Tuscaloosa County High School in Northport, Alabama, submitted an essay suggesting ingenuity. And in her essay, she wrote, the ingenuity and brilliance of people working hard to overcome the challenges of interplanetary travel are what allow us to experience the wonders of space exploration. Ingenuity is what allows people to accomplish amazing things, and it allows us to explore our horizons to the edges of the universe. So there will be an Ingenuity helicopter on Mars. Now, this helicopter isn't going to have any science instruments on it. It itself is the experiment to see if it can do its thing. It's going to try and fly off and fly back and fly off and fly back several times just to test and see how possible it is for a helicopter to operate on the surface of Mars. And if it does well, then we will have future missions that will have more sensors and stuff and be bigger helicopters doing doing that stuff. But it's super, super cool. It is amazing the things that continue to be done and uh, the ideas that we continue to have and continue to pull off. So very excited about the launch and landing of Perseverance and looking forward, looking forward to that. I'm I'm also looking forward to it. Hank, I have a bit of Mars news this week. Oh. Which is that the rover took a picture of the hole it's been digging. Yeah, it did. I don't know if you saw the picture. It's a good picture. It looks deeper when you see the picture. It's more impressive (laughs) that we've dug as deeply into Mars as we have, even though I know we haven't dug as deeply into Mars as we were hoping to. Uh When you see the picture, you're like, that little Mm -hmm. digger has been doing some digging. Yeah. 
And also, I did not know that like a quarter inch underneath the surface of Mars, it totally stops being a red planet and it becomes like the moon. Yeah, it's not oxidized down there. Like it's it moon will, colored. It will, turn, it will turn red as oxygen reacts with the stuff there. But it's right. because it hasn't been on the surface, it hasn't had a chance to. So I recommend checking out that picture of the hole that humans dug on Mars. It is amazing to me that we have dug a hole on Mars. I know that that's probably not the greatest accomplishment science-wise of our Mars exploration, but we dug a hole on that planet, y'all. We did it. We did it. Okay. Thank you for potting with me, Hank, and thanks to everybody for listening. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, you can send us your emails at hankandjohn at gmail.com. I'm sorry about all the emails we don't reply to. They're great. We, we love getting them, so please email us at hankandjohn at gmail.com. Yes, and also thank you for the well wishes. We've had several people write in to say, you seem like you are handling things fairly well, but we can kind of tell that, you know, you got that quarantine brain. Agree. Yeah. Uh, this podcast is edited by Joseph Tunamedish. God bless him. It's produced by Rosiana Halsaraz and Sheridan Gibson. Our communications coordinator is Paolo Garcia Prieto. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be, be awesome. awesome.